Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the App Designer Podcast. I'm here today with Anders Hoimose, the head of UX at EF's Global Creative Studio, turning complex ecosystems into great user experiences. Happy to have you here today. Happy to be here today, thank you. So Anders, please tell me, how did your career in design evolve? Because you've been a designer for over 10 years. Yeah, um, so starting from the start, I went to sort of a traditional design school. Um, but from then on, got sidetracked into a place called CID, which is Copenhagen Institute of Interactive Design, where I sort of got into more like design for digital interaction design, UX design, etc. Um, from there on, I, I went straight into a few startups, uh, which failed bravely. I mean, you are supposed to have a few failed startups on your belt, right? So <laughs> I think I did the right thing. No, but I went straight into, to founding a, a design studio with my brother just after school, uh, where we kind of tried to do sort of like interaction design that bridged the gap between physical and digital. Um, from there, we went into sort of another startup, which did, which was an app, a service app, which allowed you to sort of share photos between people, like share photo albums, basically. Um, but at some point, I ended up uh, in larger companies. Uh, I started with IBM, went to HP, and now at EF. Um, and I actually found myself quite liking these sort of like larger complex organizations. And, and I kind of like the design challenges that comes with these big places. I mean, I think some people don't thrive in, in large organizations, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of find myself liking it. Um, so I kind of went the other way. I think a lot of people go from like getting a big corporate job and then they do something on their own. I started the other way and, and, and now I'm in a big organization. I think we are around 50,000 people. So yeah, I, I've, I've went that way and I'm so far pretty happy with it. Um, yeah. Good chance to learn a lot and work with different disciplines and stuff. And I, I enjoy that. Awesome. Like, I think it's about finding the right environment and you have to experiment on your career because it's better totally. to do that on the beginning than later. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's such a pleasure in design, right? You can, you can work in so many different environments and different, you know, different sectors and all of that. And that's such a pleasure. And I think I did quite a bit of sort of career jumping early in my career, um, which I think is super healthy. Um, and now I'm a little bit more settled. I've been in here for around four years now, which is by far the longest I've ever had any position in my life. So uh, it's been a real pleasure so far. <laughs> and what's the favorite sec? Yeah, what's your favorite sector to work with? I think, as I just briefly mentioned, I think what's beautiful about design is that you can change sector. Because I think if I were to just work in one sector for the rest of my life, it would be, it would scare me. But but right now, I mean, I'm sort of we're working in education and culture and travel, and I think that's that still excites me quite a lot. I think. The whole idea about bringing actual people together in the real world and create experiences in the real world and, and have sort of an educational and a cultural twist on that is is super cool still. Um, so so I think education that I mean something you know the world can never have too much education, right? Culture as well, super important, creating actual human connections and stuff and travel. I mean, I love traveling myself. I love enabling travel for others. So. So no, the sector I'm in now is 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 pretty good for me, I think. Um, awesome. But like, I'm also, you know, aware that maybe at some point I have to move on, and 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 you know, I'm I'm pretty open for 
you know, I think design can be adapted to so many different sectors. So, so uh, you never know what the next thing is, right? Yeah. Like with education, I think it's nice because you can shape the people and through them shape the world, kind of. Yeah, totally. No, 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 totally. That's, that's, that's a very good point. Like giving people the tools and the chance to be better is, is, is a privilege. And, and I think it does a pretty good job at that at, at a scale that I still don't really think I understand because it's such a big company. We have so many, so many the children and young people and all ages kind of learning with us. And, and that's, that's super cool. Yeah. And what would you say are the biggest challenges for design in education? In education, it's, it's, uh, oh man, there's, there's so much. I mean, obviously COVID has triggered sort of, I mean, think even before COVID, there was a lot of like online services that could teach you almost anything. I mean, all the way from quick five minute a day Duolingo type applications until actually go online and learn a full MBA or something or. Yeah on a Google course, right? Um, I think it's a big challenge to find the sweet spot in between sort of automation, AI, et cetera, and like peer-to-peer learning. Um, and I think COVID has sort of accelerated that big time to a level where now that it's hard to do education right now without offering something virtual or something online. Um, but I, I'm still a strong believer in that that physical meeting can do something for you that the digital still maybe can't really grasp or hold. So I think figuring that out is, is, is a huge challenge. Um, and obviously in, in our world right now, COVID is, is the biggest challenge. I mean, we do a lot of travel as well, cultural exchange and stuff. And that's obviously. Yeah, well, it's 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 a little bit more possible now than it was one year ago, but still, it's still not solved, right? It's still a huge challenge. Um, yeah, like people are social beings, and if we fully rely on technology, there, yeah, something will be missing always. Yeah, I, I think it's it's become much better, right? And also, I mean, we do a lot of one-to-one or one-to-few uh, classes where you actually have a real teacher. But still, it's especially being a young person in front of a camera to teach. It's not ideal, right? I think it's, it becomes easier once you get a little bit older. And for example, myself, I'm trying to learn German because I live in Switzerland. But you know, I'm also I maybe have a little bit more discipline, and I can maybe take. Well, I don't think in this case I actually don't, but I can maybe take some more time out to actually get Duolingo done and stuff. But if if I'm ten years old. Uh, nine years old, right? That That's maybe very different. So so I think that human interaction and that human connection is super important, especially early on. Yeah. Like, I wonder how it will affect the children that yeah, through COVID were mainly educated online. How it will yeah. affect their relations? Because we don't see that now, but we've seen that yeah, they behave differently. It's a good question. Um, it's a very good question. I don't think we have seen the implications of all of that yet, right? It's hopefully, hopefully people will go back to, well, it goes for all education. I, I, of course, some country schools are fully open and stuff, right? But I mean, I'm Danish and I know in Denmark, like schools were, were, were shut down for a long time for a lot of age groups. And, and I think for a full year, you would, you would start maybe a new year, you would start high school and your first year of school would be at home. I mean, 
I mean, as I remember the best part of high school, that was like the social connections, right? All the new friends you made and all that stuff. And that's just gone. And you're just like tied to this camera. And it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic that we can. I mean, it's, it's so lucky that we have it, right? But I think the outcome of that is, is more severe than, than what we're seeing now. Um, but fingers crossed. Let's hope we get back soon in the, yeah. in the world. <laughs> And what do you think are the biggest challenges in design in front of us? It's a big, it's a big question. It's from, from where I see, I think, I think the material we design with is becoming so complex in design in this in its earliest day, which was around a lot about like industrial design and working with, with wood or metal and turn that into to objects that would make everyday life better and easier at home and you would bring good design to, to the masses through clever designs and production, etc. And if you take that metaphor and look convert it into sort of like designing for digital services and stuff, I mean technology is becoming so complex um, and so powerful. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, service design was a lot about UX design as well, like getting, for example, getting public services, et cetera, online, so you could sort of self-service yourself, et cetera. But still kind of simple, like same processes, you could upload a document, download a document, you know, book a time to, to go see a doctor or something. But now with, with sort of designing for voice interfaces, AI, and all of that stuff that goes on behind the scenes, it becomes so intangible. And I think that's going to be a tricky transition for a lot of designers to wrap their head around. How do you suddenly design for that? Because the, the direct sort of manipulation of a material, whether that is an interface or wood for a chair, is kind of gone. And I think that's going to be, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the designer, but also on the tools we use. Because now, I mean, we use Sketch just transition into Figma kind of manipulates pixels directly on the screen. So it's kind of easy to see what are you moving around and what you're getting. It's kind of relatively easy to have an idea about what's the experience going to be like for the end user. But designing for sort of like hyper-complex AI, voice interfaces, or even chatbots and stuff, is, I mean, that's, that's hard to get right. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's a challenge for us moving forward, like adapting to be able to work with that technology. Um, Awesome. Yeah. But I mean, that's a complex topic. <laughs> you can yeah. spend a lot of time that alone, right? Um, but I like, I like the challenge as well, right? Because that means you're not, you can't stagnate, right? You can't, you can't be a designer. Well, you, you, you obviously can't. It depends on, on, on your, on your sector, right? But if you want to work sort of within design and technology, you kind of need to be fast on your feet and, and make sure that you, make sure that you keep an eye out for what's going on and make sure that you are willing to sort of adapt your design practice to fit some of these new, uh, new challenges. Yeah. And do you have a favorite project that you've worked on? Uh, I think I have a few favorites throughout, oh. throughout, uh, throughout sort of my career. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny because there, there's just, they're just, they're just projects that, Either the outcome was really good or the process was really good. Or maybe you worked with some talented people and that made the whole experience really pleasant from, from sort of personal point of view. 
I think two things that comes to mind sort of like recently is, is before EFI was with HP working on their first generation of industrial scale 3D printers. So not like the makeup what you would have at home, but 3D printers that would go into big sort of production companies, industrial design companies like BMW, Nike, Bosch, Rush, uh, and just being part of such a huge project that was so focused on like hardware on the one side. So you would have these huge machines making all this noise, you know, spitting out stuff and then sort of trying to make this software and this sort of workflow experience fit into the kind of world. That was, that was very rewarding from a design point of view. Um, and then on a completely different sort of like tangent is recently I've been very involved in EF's sort of global design system, which I've really enjoyed. So that's kind of designing for other designers, which has been very different challenge, right? Because suddenly, suddenly there's a user in between your end users. So you have to consider, oh, how does other designers work? What are the challenges? How do they get stuff built? Um, so, so I think those two have been recently something I've enjoyed very much. Nice. Um, Were there any funny stories involved? Uh, <laughs> in these projects? I think there's probably a few funny stories. I think, I think maybe with the design system, I think, I think, I'm not sure if it's a funny story, but looking back, I was amazed how when we went into that project, which is probably like two and a half years ago, we were so blind to reality. Like we were so like, oh, we're just going to do a sketch library with cool looking stuff and people are going to love it. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, that's sort of like, that sort of ignorance, I think, is healthy sometimes because it can kick off a project and you're not getting scared about reality. But the fact that it, we, we went on a little world tour with the first version, like we, we have design studios around the world, and we went to Boston, and we went to, to Shanghai, and we went to Zurich, and we went to London to sort of like present this idea. And we just suddenly met reality in a different way, like, oh, yeah, we don't have any developers that can, you know, once we design this, who's, who's going to build it? And, and, and like, oh, we, we do this and we do that, or that header structure completely doesn't work for us and stuff. So. I think I think that really made us like realize that whoa we actually we're actually designing for a different set of uses here, and if we don't treat that as sort of a product design, if we don't treat that whole process as a proper design process, we're gonna fail. So um, so yeah, I, I think that, that that was kind of fun how we like you know you like look at other people doing design systems like oh we can do that right, and, and then you learn that that yeah, but also maybe it's how you sell it into your your. I mean, you, you need to get permission from your, your stakeholders, right, to, to get it done. And of course, if you told them about like, oh, there's like a million challenges ahead, they'll be like, yeah, then do, do it. But if you say like, oh, yeah, we can totally do this in the summer, they're going to get excited as well, right? So, you know, yeah. sometimes maybe that ignorance is healthy, but for sure you need to adapt. And, um, like there is often this ignorance, like, we don't need marketing. The product is so good, it will sell itself. <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> It doesn't always, or like, yeah, salespeople are like, we're just going to build such an immersive experience that salespeople are going to be redundant. It's like, yeah, still probably pretty good to have some people helping you sell. Um, yeah, I think that's like, it's, it's a very, I probably exist in other disciplines as well, but I think in design, right, you, I think design schools teach us that design is kind of the center of the universe. And, and sometimes we just, you come to the real world and you're like, oh yeah, maybe it's, you know, <laughs> without the other disciplines, it's hard to really make it come alive at least. Um, Awesome. It's, a, it's a good, it's a good, it took me some years to learn that, I think. Yeah. 
And what would you say are the biggest problems or challenges for designers that are working with software developers? Um, I think there's just such a such a lack of. No, there's not a. It's interesting. So, so the design. If, if you talk about designing something digital, right? The design has absolutely zero value on its own. No user will experience your Figma file, right? Well, unless it's like a prototype test and they will go through a prototype, it won't really solve anything. And also on the other hand, the developers without design, it's like they can probably build something functional, but the experience is going to be probably going to suffer a lot unless you have really, 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 really sort of design interest. I'm pretty sure it will. Yeah, right. So, so they kind of, they kind of dependent on each other. But still, there's such a wall in between often, and there's such a such a lack of of understanding and a lack. I also think maybe a lack of interest in between the two disciplines. Um, so I think often it's like the designer cares so much about, oh, the spacing is off. It's like 16 pixels, and it should be 24. And the developer is like, well, the, the app isn't really running. I mean, it's crashing all the time. So of course, that's two very different. That is two very very different sort of like. Um, Challenges, right, and, and issues to solve. So I, I think, I think it's like, I'm a strong believer that that, that both discipline can benefit hugely from. Well, first of all, like just talking more, sitting together, communicating, having a shared goal, being brought together early on in the project, so that the developers are aware of certain design decisions, but also that the designers are aware of certain development constraints. For example, is this a project with 25 developers on, or do we have one? Because you know. Of course, that changes the scope for the design. Um, I'm also a big believer that, you know, if you show an interest as a designer in the world of sort of code and engineering, you can accomplish a lot together. You can, you know, it's just a little bit like if the developer shows interest in the design, you're like, oh, great, we can talk. We can we can solve this together. We can come to a resolution together. Um, and I think the other way around is, is, is equally valid that, you know, if you actually show an interest, if you actually... You know, learn yourself a little bit of, you don't have to learn to code, right? But if you have an idea, like what's, what's really hard to do with CSS or, you know, what's really hard to do in a web app versus a native app, then you can have much more qualified discussions with the development team. And I think showing them that respect to care about their craft, I think gets you much further than just being ignorant and being like, I want this. I want this design to look like that. And I want this little thing to spin around. And they're going to be like, well, great. It's going to take me seven days to build. You know, what is the actual value we get from those seven days? Right? Yeah, I, I think just communication and sort of like interest in between. Uh, yeah, it's but but yeah, it's 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 I guess also dependent on the on the setup, right? Yeah, like it's um, a very broad topic. And it is. It is. Um, I'm a firm believer that yeah, developers should be engaged early on in the design process because mm -hmm. then they can share the insights. They can yeah, say that they, it will take them seven days to do something like that. And it's yeah. better to focus on a different functionality or whatever that will yeah, bring that value to the yeah. user. And yeah, also they will understand the users more thanks to that. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I sometimes also think we as designers, we, we care a lot about things being in a specific way. And, and maybe that goes directly against the, the technology. For example, let's say we design something where, I don't know, for some reason, the, 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 the front end of the project, let's say it's a web project, are using a specific grid or something. And if you just constantly break that grid, 
it just creates a lot of friction between the design and the execution. But if we, but you could also argue that is that value then worth it, right? Is that user experience going to be so much better by breaking that grid? If yes, then it's probably worth spending the time. But if it's just me as a designer that like, oh, I really like this, you know, this sort of off-grid things, it's like maybe then it's not worth it, right? So I think it's like a push-pull thing because sometimes you obviously also need to challenge them, right? You can't just, if you always were like, oh yeah, if you say it's hard, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's also not good, right? But I think, I think understanding when is the time to challenge it and when is the time to maybe even find Coach Nibber on your own and be like, I can see it can be done. Uh, versus when is the time to just be like, okay, let's find a solution where we can get this done maybe a little bit faster, maybe it's a little bit uh, more stable or loads faster or whatever, right? I think it's just really just there. Yeah, comes down to, to communication and then sort of mutual understanding and um, treating them as colleagues, right? Treating them as sort of partners on your design. I think that's treating them, that sounds like they and us. I mean, we're all a team, right? And then yeah. we work together as a team. So um, that's kind of the missing link that some people don't understand it. Yeah, but it is hard. It's very cultural as well, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, I, I think it's, it's, because I was, I think I have to, so previous I was with HP, very, very engineer driven. Mm-hmm. And the team I'm in now is very, very design driven. And it's very different challenges that it comes with, right? Where engineer driven is like, it's like stability first. Yeah. And the design driven is like, you know, user or aesthetic or, you know, brand first. And then engineering will figure, right? Um, I think, I think there is, a, a, a sweet spot in between. Um, I'm not sure where, I, I, maybe it's a holy grail. I don't know. But I think it's possible to improve a lot um, just by just by working together, really. Yeah. Um, and do you think that design should first solve problems and then take care of the experience and aesthetics? Or, yeah, first look at the aesthetics and then solve the yes, problem? Very much so. I also represent that UX discipline, right? I'm, I'm definitely more of a, like, if you go into a design project, whether it's large or small, like clarifying what problem or what challenge are you trying to solve before starting is for me, like, so important. And even to an extent that if you don't have that clear, you probably need to go back to really understanding the context in which your design challenge exists before you should move on. Um, because otherwise you're kind of just decorating, or at least there's a danger that you're just decorating something that doesn't really make a difference. And, and um, no, so for me, like problem solving, like identifying the problem is, is sometimes even almost the hardest part, right? Because the problem might not be as you thought it was. The problem might exist deep, deep, deep into the organization and has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, what you think or like the previous design team tackling issue. It might be that, you know, organizations are complex and they have tech depth and they have design depth. And, you know, I think identifying what are you actually trying to solve is such a key to make it better. Otherwise, I think you'd kind of spin around a little bit. Yeah. Around the solution. Often the problem on the surface, it's, yeah. It's almost non-existent, but when you do a deep dive, it's so big that it's not easy to solve. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's where, I mean, I think that's where, you know, UX design and design thinking, these sort of processes are really valuable. Like, 
I can't remember who coined the term like wicked problems, but the idea that problems become so hard to solve that there's not like a, it's not a binary solution, right? It's, it's, it's so complex that even trying to solve it creates another set of complex problems. Um, and I think that's, that's when it gets hairy and really interesting because I think then you know you're dealing with maybe the right thing. Or at least you, at least you have, you're trying to tackle something that's a little bit bigger than just like, ooh, I don't like that color, you know. Um, but no, I think I think you know, problem solving is is for sure a strength, especially of of that side of design which is a little bit more focused on overall user experiences, like a little bit more like you know, not so much how to design, but like what to design. Um, I think the problem solving is, is um, and then it's almost like if you can identify the problem in a clear way and articulate it in a clear way, so much easier to solve it, right? Because it brings everyone together around the table, like this is the problem, and then you can discuss solutions, right? But if you don't agree on the problem, it's really hard to agree on a solution. Mm. Or at least you start talking, you know, you've probably been in these meetings as well, right? Where if there's not a clear, clear goal or a clear problem to solve, the discussions can become so hairy and so so inconsistent that it's like, yeah, okay, back to drawing board. So, uh, yeah. How does remote collaboration affect the quality of design? It's interesting, right? Because I think recently, I've, I've, I think it, it became pretty clear for me that there's such a huge difference between working from home and working remotely. So working from home, I think, is what we started to do during COVID. We went home with our laptops under the arm and suddenly we work from home, just like you would do if you needed to take care of some stuff during the day. Or, you know, if you had a, some guy coming by your flat to fix something, you would work from home. The rest of the team would work in the office. And I think down the line, we realized that, oh, we're probably going to work from home for a while. I think in the beginning, I was like, should I order an office chair? Because is it going to be one week, two weeks? And now it's like one and a half year almost, right? And I, I did, I did get the chair. So, and I think during the sort of first half year, I think it became incredibly clear that doing remote work requires a completely different level of communication and planning than working together in a physical space, especially being creative. Um, it worked pretty well for us when we had really defined problems or really defined projects where it's kind of crunch time, get stuff done, you know, clean up the files, take it to dev, you know. But as soon as you're starting new projects and having to sort of like bring together a new team to solve new challenges, I think, I think it became much harder and it put much more pressure on, on the sort of like more senior people on the team to sort of like make sure that everyone was on the same page. Everybody felt included. Everybody was clear on how, which processes do we use? You know, which folders do we share stuff in? How do we communicate? How do we communicate with the external stakeholders and all that stuff? Um, Sorry, your question was around the quality, right? But I think, I think <laughs> yeah. the quality suffers if you don't take care of these things. Yeah. Um, like I those little things are up. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I do think that, that quality suffers when people are together in, in, in the creative field, unless you have people that are super good at, at making sure that you facilitate that design process, that creative process. Because in face-to-face, -face, let's say we were in the office together and I wanted to show you some a prototype or something, I would probably just go to your desk and show show you my phone. Or be like, oh, can you click through this? It feels a little off. Or like, how do you like this? Or 
also with speaking of the developers, I would go like and say like, I really like this animation, but you know, I know it's a pretty tight deadline, but can we make it happen? And we could we could sort of very quickly sort that out. Where suddenly being at home, you would have to like. I know that you can just call up on Slack or on Skype or on Teams or whatever you use, but I found that it happens less and less, and you had to schedule meetings. So you had to schedule a review. And suddenly scheduling a review also means adding a lot of people. And adding a lot of people means that you have to prepare better. And meetings got longer and all of that stuff happens, right? So I think changing the culture into something where it's perfectly fine just to Slack you quickly, oh, can you look at this prototype meeting? I think that's I think that's kind of the key to, to unlock that creative workflow um, and also have the tools in place, right? Like I know that many of the biggest of design tools have these online artboards. I think Vision have one, Figma has one, Nero has one where you can kind of enter this virtual collaboration world and move stuff around together, right? But again, I found it really hard to, it took a while for us to get used to using it. It's like, yeah. oh, because in the beginning, it felt a little pretentious almost. Like, why should we sit in here, drag around post-it notes virtually? But it's like, it's like, yeah, but once you get used to it, it actually kind of works, right? But um, I don't know. I admire the teams that have made this fully remote design teams work perfectly. I think that's uh, that's such a challenge. Um, and yeah, so I, I do think, sort of answering the question, I do think the quality can potentially suffer. But I also think we have the tools to maybe make it not suffer. I think it's just a matter of culturally in the design team, make sure that we, you know, that we show we all understand the constraints of being remote and the challenges that comes with it, but also the strength that comes with it, right? Because it, it brings a lot of good stuff as well with it. Um, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a random, maybe a little bit of a complex answer, but I think it's a complex topic as well, but an interesting one. Um, and I don't hope that we've seen the last of like good online collaboration tools because I think there's so much more that can be potentially done in this yeah. space. There's always room for improvement. For sure, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, when working on a new project, should teams follow their intuition or start with research? I think it's 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 a it's an interesting it's such an interesting, if you, if you look at the sort of like traditional sort of like build, test, repeat cycle or like design thinking, like in precise, define, um, or should I need to do that again? It's, it's one thing that should totally sit uh, on my mind. But if you look at, at, at design systems sort of traditionally, right, where you have sort of empathy and, and define, ideate, prototype test sort of in a sort of like repetitive flow and iterative flow. I think it's perfectly fair to start wherever you are at. So if you're starting a project and you don't really know what the problem is, as we just before, doing some research and some sort of like empathy exercises and to understand who's your users, what problem you're trying to solve, etc., makes a lot of sense to get you started on the right foot. On the other hand, if you have already learned a lot about that stuff and if you already identified a lot of challenges and issues with your, let's say, your past version of the product, then maybe going straight into a prototype phase of making the next version, I think is perfectly valid, right? As long as you remember to circle back into testing it with the user and really understanding, are you then solving the challenge that you identified before? Um, so I, I, I think it's perfectly fine to sometimes break out of that sort of like 
always start with the user, always start with, with, with um, I think you should always start with the user, but, but the activity of addressing the user can be, can be come when you think you have something to show them, for example. Right? Um, but I think also you should be ready to be challenged. Like sometimes you go into a project and you have maybe an initial meeting or like you get a brief and you're like, oh, wait a minute, you think you know what you're, you think you know the user here, but you based it on research that was done seven years ago. So maybe we should, maybe we should go back and do it. Um, or you become pleasantly surprised by suggesting to do a lot of research to sort of understand and, you know, some team just shows up with like the most up-to-date, like, oh, we totally got this under control, right? And you can go straight into uh, into prototyping or something. Um, I also think it can come from tech, right? It might be that the development team have like a new cool thing that they want to see if we can make something out of, right? And and that might not start with, kind of starting with a solution. And I think it can be counterfeited and you can sort of like bring that back to people and see what can they make out of it, right? But I think the danger there is that you you falsely apply a technology to a, to a problem that doesn't exist. Um, and that's, of course, of course, a danger with that, with that model, right? Where if you follow it strictly design thinking process, I think you're more likely to make sure that you are identifying a problem and you're applying a you know, solution to it that actually solves the problem. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. And should new designers focus on theory or... Yeah, acquire hands-on skills. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was through. I've been through sort of traditional sort of art school training, right? Where you have like classes on sculpturing and color theory and old school typography rules and stuff like that. Even though I don't really do that stuff, right? But I think having that sort of craft foundation makes you a quite strong designer no matter where you go. Um, I think it's a challenge that a lot of the shorter, if you focus on sort of the UX field, there's a lot of shorter courses that can teach you a lot of UX stuff, <laughs> whatever that means, uh, fast. And I think it's a little bit of a danger because design has so many tacit skills like so many so many skills that are like it's hard to pinpoint what they are but they just allow you to sort of like frictionless move between some research and some like hands-on designing some testing some you know discussions around aesthetics or around usability and stuff like that and i think i think those those sort of like broad skill sets are a little bit lost when you boil it down to a three or six month course um so I think it's important. I'm a true believer, and I think it's ideal that have this T-shaped designer, like the broad skill set, but you're very good at something, right? So it might be that you're pretty good at doing prototypes. You're really good. You're pretty good at, you know, doing some research. You are, you know, but maybe you have sort of a very, very core skill that's like microinteraction, for example. That means you can bring a lot of value to those projects, but you can also participate in a lot of different activities. So I think I think it's super important as as new designers that you both have that. Mindset where you understand the design process, you understand design thing, you understand the value, but it's also super important to have some skills that takes you from insight into something tangible. Because if you only produce insights and you only focus on sort of like theoretical aspect of design or research or insights or whatever, someone has to translate that into to solution or to something tangible. And if you're not a 
great designer, I think that transition can suffer. Uh, and by that, I mean that, you know, you might have the best insights and the best problem identification skills in the world. That also needs to, to come, you know, the solution also needs to be beautiful and, and well-functioning and solve the problem. Of course, then there's like teams where you can be lucky to say like, you can actually focus on, let's say, user research only. Um, and then you can hand insights over to someone who's super skilled at producing, um, you know, a, a more like tangible design. But I, I think I think there's a quality in having both, um, and definitely something I personally look for when we hire is, is for sure that sort of a relatively broad skill set and an ability to pick up new craft and new skills fast. Because as we also talked about before, everything changes so fast that if you can't pick up new tools and new challenges, uh, it's I think it's hard to survive in the long run. Really, not survive, but hard to keep learning and keep improving yourself. I think we will survive. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But... Yeah. No, that's, that was maybe a little dramatic on the design yeah. choice, but... <laughs> like, I would uh, yeah, put that piano. Do, 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 do. Oh, exactly, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a question of surviving. I think it's a question of, like, constantly learning, right? I think that's... If you have that mindset on, you're constantly learning. You're sort of on a learning journey as a designer. Yeah. I think you can be in for such a fun time in this field. What do you mean learning by doing or learning by yeah, taking courses? Uh, I think a combination, really. I think I think it's both. I think learning by doing is is strong. Um, you know, it's it's like, oh, I really want to learn this tool. I want to, you know, I want to... I've never done a more high fidelity prototype. I want to learn that. That's like, just do it. Just, you know, practice. But I think also if you're like looking at getting into a completely field, let's say I'm a UX designer, I want to transition. I want to become more of a, you know, like super pixel perfect UI person. Then I should probably take a course to get me, to get me bumped up to, to a level, right? So I think it's, it's a combination. Um, but I'm a, I'm a strong believer in learning by doing and like setting out of, I mean, I, I don't know, it sounds a little bit like a cliche maybe, but sort of like dumping myself in the middle of a lake, I think it's kind of fun because you're like, oh, you need to get to shore somehow, right? And starting to swim is probably the best, you know, that gets you going, you start doing, you start learning. And then hopefully along the way you acquire new skills and you build new networks and you meet new people. And you, I love when you suddenly see like a tiny world unfolding. Like you're like, wow, I had no idea this field was so big. But I had no idea that design system world was so complex, right? And, and I think that sort of learning is very rewarding. Yeah, and it opens the eyes for some cases. Totally. No, no, it's a completely new... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's super fun. I think that's what keeps me motivated as well to stay in this field. That, you know, it's not like... I mean, I started early on. I did a lot of flash, I think. For those who remember that, right? And I was like, I'm going to do Flash forever. And then Adobe kind of, no, so that Apple kind of killed Flash, right? When they didn't put Flash in the iPhones. And they're like, oh, what do we do now? And I was like, holy shit, there's so much else. There's like so much stuff. There's so much to learn. There's so much to be done, right? So, so, um, and of course, you fall in love with technologies and tools and stuff, but I think it's healthy to sometimes challenge yourself and move on. Yeah. And what are the skills required to be a good designer? Yeah, I think it, 
it's obviously super dependent on what kind of designer you are. If we if we stick to UX, um, and as, as I mentioned before, the T-shape, like a broad scale set, but with a strong focus on something, I think is valuable. But but sort of like more like personality traits, I really really look for in in in, in, in colleagues and stuff is is for sure sort of the ability to empathize with users, so the ability to not focus on yourself as a designer, but sorry, that, that, that came out wrong. The ability to to put yourself in other people's shoes and design a solution that is for them and not for yourself or not for your stakeholders, I think is such an important thing. Um, and with that also comes strong collaboration skills. Because if you as a UX designer cannot collaborate with, you know, with the business or with product or UI designers or with tech people, UX design on its own becomes a little bit pointless in a way, right? We can sit on a lot of good insights and a lot of amazing prototypes, but you know that needs to be communicated and needs to be brought into the world. We need to get those solutions to the users, right? So collaboration, I think, is such an important aspect. And then there's a lot of craft skills as well, right? It's, it's really nice that to have various skills, whether that is like really good skills in like, you know, user research or doing user interviews or crafting high fidelity prototypes or handing over stuff, documentation to development or whatever that is. But I found that those, this is generalizing obviously, but I find that those craft skills are easier to teach people than for example, the ability to emphasize. Because if I had a person on my team and we were going into a design or uh, sort of a project where we were designing for a specific platform, you could say like, okay, take two weeks and take this online course to get up to speed. Um, but it's hard to change a person's personality from being incredibly egocentric to being like incredibly emphatic. So, so I think those qualities are super important in the field of UX to bring. Um, and I think if, if, if you, if you do that, I think you can thrive with a lot of different people and you can have more impact in an organization if you actually choose to collaborate rather than choose to, you know, come with like, I want this this way. I think yeah. that's never really a good approach to. Like, to I anything. think those, those soft skills, they will be even more important in the future. Because, yeah, as you said, we, you can take a course and get up to speed on one particular topic or something. But, yeah. It's incredibly hard to make someone more likable if they are a grumpy person from nature. Exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's perfectly fine to be grumpy sometimes, right? And I'm obviously sometimes grumpy myself. I mean, I think we're all humans, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's such a difference of knowing, like, I mean, I like when when we collaborate and get into super heated discussions. I like when things go on the edge and, you know, the level before shouting. But I think where the difference is if you if you part as good colleagues that can then be like, oh, that was great, we got to a really good solution, or if you just part as like more enemies. And I think if you have people that are more understanding from one another, it's I think you part better as friends and 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 you understand that the when you get into heated stuff, when you become grumpy and shouting and stuff, it's all because you care, but you are also able to to say like, okay, I was wrong, you were right. Or you say like, oh, let's go test this with the user because obviously we are very in disagreement. Um, and I think that ability to let go and to be like, okay, I was 
I care maybe too much here and like because it's also like if you're too you can't you, I mean you also have to fight for some stuff right? otherwise you yeah. get, you just get run over so absolutely so, somewhere in between there I think lies do you have any tips for someone who is at the start of their design career I got I got I got think actually I got a tip once and I think it's kind of the only sort of like it's not the only piece of advice that's been stuck with me, but it stuck with me for a long time, uh, which was from a guy. We had a course at CID around, I don't remember the course, but the guys, I think it was called Stefan Andren. He was, he was the design director at Nike when they did the first Nike Plus. That was before the, that was before your iPhone could track all your activities. You put a little chip in your shoe and it would connect to your iPod, a little chip to your iPod and you could track your runs. Um, but he was, he was saying like, wear many hats. And I, I really enjoyed that advice because I think, especially if you want to work in, in sort of like design and technology and stuff, I think wear many hats is such a valuable advice that, you know, I know that when you just start out as a designer, I thought for many years I was going to be like a motion graphic designer. And then I thought it was going to be like a flash designer forever, right? But I think after that I was like, holy, yeah, you can actually, you can actually be a lot of them. Um, and also it's like, if you put on a little bit more the tech hat one day, you can, you can go hang out with the tech guys and you can learn about that stuff. If you put on your user research hat, you, can, you know, it's like, I think you can, you can, you can provide so much value and you can become such a, so much better as a designer and potentially maybe better as a human being as well. If you sort of like choose to wear many hats, um, I think that advice I would happily pass on. Yeah. Do you um, kind of open the door to the whole world thanks to it? Totally. Exactly. Um, you, you give, yeah, no, no, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, for sure. That's, that's, you know, sometimes I forget it still now, like, oh, you know, you, because we, we, I mean, we all have stuff we need to do, right? And, and yeah. sometimes you're like, oh, I have so much admin work, right? But like, well, yeah, but do that for two hours and then like, you know, go into GitHub and check out what are the other guys doing, and, and just to get you know get out of that, that zone a little bit. I think I think that's still such a such a valuable thing. Yeah. Okay, Anders, that was great. I'm very, very happy from today. And please tell me where can people find you? So digitally, they can find me on well, obviously on LinkedIn. Uh, they can also find I have a portfolio site running on. Hojmose, H-O-J-M-O.se. I think Googling my name is probably easier. Um, Instagram and everyone else. It's my handle there. Um, and physically, Swiss Alps. Skiing or hiking or something is probably your best, your best bet. Um, but yeah, go, uh, go find me on LinkedIn. Happy to, uh, to connect with people. Awesome. Thank you very much for today. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, I hope that this conversation has some value to other people. <laughs> I think it has a lot. Good. Well, thank you for having me. It was it was a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at elitecrew.io. We'll be happy to help.